What we read in this passage is the very event that has cast such a dark shadow over all of Matthew's gospel. It's like a stain that has seeped down through every page of your Bible. Echoes of it can be found in the Psalms, like we've just been singing, and the songs that God's people have been singing all throughout history. It's been the steady drone throughout every one of God's promises. And it is the pre-chorus to the songs that we will be singing together forevermore in heaven. But the difficult thing that I've found preparing this over the last few weeks has been, how on earth do I preach this? How can the crucifixion be so easy and yet so difficult to preach? Because why has Matthew written his account of the crucifixion in this way? Why has he told us the details he's told us and why has he missed out other details? surely it's enough for Good Friday service for me to stand up here and just say look Jesus died for your sins so you should believe in him that would be too easy wouldn't it but what is Matthew actually trying to tell us what Matthew is preaching the gospel to us but what is it that he's really trying to hammer home to the reader I wonder if you noticed, just as we read that, that Matthew doesn't really go into the details about Jesus' actual crucifixion. Did you spot that? He he doesn't tell us about the nails that were put through his hands. He doesn't go into the specifics about the blood and the sweat and the tears, the heat of the day, the pain, the suffocating. Matthew doesn't really tell us anything about Jesus' physical suffering about his physical experience on the cross. And maybe that's what you were expecting from this sermon. Just look at the end of uh, verse 31 with me. Matthew writes there that Jesus was led away to be crucified. And then over the next few verses, we get some information about his journey to the execution site. Look at verse 35. When they had crucified him, See, Matthew's missed out all the gory, macabre details. Why? Well, for one, crucifixion was known well to the early readers of the Bible. As they were reading this passage, and you yourselves probably have this clear, bloody picture, or at least a concept of Jesus hanging on the cross, without having been given all the details. But see, Matthew focuses on a suffering that cuts so much deeper than that which Jesus experiences physically. Jesus experiences the rejection from his Father. A separation from God that goes far beyond that which even we experience now. And with the help of some pastors that can say things much more eloquently than I can, they write... His physical agony we can appreciate because we have all felt pain. Even his emotional grief we can sympathise with because we too have known human injustice. We've all known people who betrayed us. But to be utterly forsaken by God is a whole other thing that we may never know. Now whether you're a Christian here or you're a non-believer... 
If you're sat here today at all, by the grace of God, you have never experienced and may never experience this sort of forsakenness by God that Jesus does. And what we're going to see, if there's one thing that you take away from this talk, we're going to see Jesus' willingness to go to the cross, his willingness to be forsaken by God so that we might be welcomed into his presence. That's where we're going. But even as far as to the point of actually being nailed to the cross and left for dead, if he really is the Son of God, there are those who want to see him respond a bit differently. They've got their own ideas of how they think Jesus should prove who he is. And so here's our first point. We're going to see that Jesus is offered a way out. Let's read again, will you? If you've got a Bible, keep that open. We're going to be using that. Let's read from verse 38. It says, Two rebels were crucified with Jesus, one on his right, one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, <laughs> save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusts God. Let God rescue him now if he wants, for he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. See, the one who has already been ripped apart by whips is now being ripped into by the onlookers. See, from the highest to the lowest class citizens among those who reject him, from the holier-than-thou so-called Jewish leaders to the common folk just passing by, they're having a go. To the guilty criminals who are facing the same condemnation he is. Everyone jumping in and having a go at Jesus. But see, somebody else rocks up to pay his last disrespects to the dying king. See, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Matthew records, if you remember, a long time ago, back in chapter 4, that Jesus spent some time in the wilderness with Satan being tested, being tempted, okay? Satan, some of his tactics, he says, oh, you're hungry? Well, if you are the son of God, why don't you turn some stones into bread? Satan takes Jesus up to the highest point of the temple and he says, if you are the son of God, why don't you jump and let the angels come and save you? In chapter 4, verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He said, all this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. Let me paraphrase. Satan says, take a shortcut to the throne. You don't need to die to be king. Don't do it God's way. 
And here, as Jesus now hangs on the cross at the end of his earthly ministry, can you hear the taunt of Satan once more? Using the mocking of these onlookers as a mouthpiece. This is one last punch from Satan before Jesus dies. Verse 40. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. Prove it. It doesn't have to be this way. Have the kingdom without the cross. Prove yourself to be the Son of God. But see, it's precisely because Jesus is the Son of God that he does not come down. That he endures the cross. See, Jesus was offered a way out, but he was willing to stay. And this is the Jesus who back in chapter 26 and verse 53 said, Do you think that I cannot call on my Father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Of course, Jesus could have come down. He could have made a big song and dance about it. But here is a king who is willing to hold back and willing to endure the worst kind of suffering for the sake of his people to reconcile them to God. So willing that in verse 34 of the passage that he refuses the sedative drink that he's offered to ease his pain. And even his consciousness, his awareness, his senses, in order that he would be fully present and fully aware of what he was doing. So willing that by saving himself, he could never save others. Remember, Jesus has come to serve, not to be served. Jesus has come to save, not to be saved. So willing that it's right to wonder if the nails that held him, it pinned him to the cross, were even necessary. And over the last few years, <clears throat> I've been making these playlists on Spotify for myself, titled 2020. 2021, 22, 23, and I've got a really strict rule about these playlists, right? And the rule is that every song that gets added <clears throat> must conjure up a memory for me of that year, of someone or something that I've done, somewhere I've been. Every song must have a story. You know how it is, right? With certain smells, certain foods, certain songs can suddenly bring back memories, maybe of how you felt at the time. You get that? Maybe there are song lyrics that spoke into right where you were at mentally, emotionally, spiritually at the time. Do you ever feel, I feel this with, with hymns, do you ever feel like you can identify with the song lyrics or that the lyrics can almost verbalise how you're feeling better than your own words can? Well, I wonder if you've noticed, but there's been a song playing throughout this passage and I don't mean audibly, I mean in the text. From every careful word chosen by Matthew that he's written here for us to the very scene that is being played out on the side of this hill where Jesus is crucified. We can hear the echoes of the words of an ancient psalm written thousands, written a thousand years before. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <clears throat> 
I am scorned by everyone, despised by the people. <clears throat> All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him and deliver him since he delights in him. Have you noticed I'm no longer reading Matthew? This is the words that we've just sung of Psalm 22. They pierce my hands and my feet. Matthew didn't even tell us that bit. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Now, will you read the passage again with me? Verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, this is the moment where there's been that song playing and you've, you've recognised the words you know the tune, you know the melody. Mm -hmm. And somebody finally says the name of the song and you go, yes, I knew it, I knew it was that one. See, here, in this moment, Jesus cries out exactly what he feels. He cries out, in this moment, exactly what is true. He cries out the psalm of his ancestor, the song of his people that he relates the most to in that moment. My God, why have you forsaken me? I remember once being taught at this moment that as Jesus cries out, that Jesus is almost surprised at the fact that he's dying as he cries this out. Have you heard that? That almost like Jesus is surprised that he's lost the battle. Look, even Jesus doubts. Have you ever heard that? How far from the truth that is. There's so much we could say here, but we need to keep this brief. Jesus quoting from Psalm 22 gives us confidence that Jesus knows exactly what is going on. That Jesus has willingly taken on the whole human experience. Our experience of physical agony. Our experience of utter emotional turmoil. And here's the point that I think Matthew's trying to get at here. That Jesus takes on exactly what we deserve. Separation from God because of our sin. Because of our rejection of him. So here's the second point. That sinners are offered a way in and Jesus is willing to pay. <coughs> Let me give you a first part of a little illustration. Through playing music over the years, um, I've had the privilege of meeting and befriending some of my favourite musicians. It's been great. Um, and a few years ago, I went to see one of them play in one of my favourite bands in a venue in Glasgow. And that morning before the gig, he texted me and said, hey, do you want to come to the after party after the gig? And I'm thinking, great, this, this will be great. So we went to the gig in the evening and after the gig, gig was over and security just sort of ushered people out and sort of I'm moving with the flow and before I know it, I'm outside, in the street, doors are shut. So I approached the security guard and I said, mate, I I'm actually supposed to be in there. 
I'm pals with the band. I'm supposed to be backstage right now. So you can imagine the look on the security guard's face and the sort of response he gave me. And even more so when I was like, no, I can show you the text, look. <laughs> Just laughing at me, move along. See, way back in the opening chapters of the Bible, we're introduced to our own ancestors, Adam and Eve, who were representatives on behalf of every human in the garden where they enjoyed the blessing of God. And when they sinned and when they rebelled against God, they were guilty, ashamed, naked, cursed to death by God and outside the garden, separated from God. (coughs) And now here is Jesus, forsaken by God. He's taken outside the holy city, He's shamefully naked, condemned alongside the guilty. He hangs on a tree, cursed in the very darkness that he spoke of so often himself. Dying the most shameful death with the weight of the world on his shoulders. And there has never been a more literal time to use that phrase. In verse 50, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. The very one who spoke creation into life and life into creation falls silent unto death. And the inanimate world erupts in protest. Look at verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open. Side note, it often seems like creation is ready to respond to the person of God before we are. I was just thinking this week of Psalm 19. You know, the the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim his handiwork, and yet they have no speech. They use no words, no sound is heard from them, and yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Well, here, as her maker bows his head, she screams and cries out in grief. But our attention is turned to the temple in verse 51. At that moment of Jesus' death, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, the temple wasn't like a church building in that it was just the place where God's people met together, but it was the place where God met with his people. For the Jewish people, it was God's very presence among them. And even more so, it was a picture of their separation from him. And the Jews, of all people, had this privilege. And the priests, of all people, had the privilege of serving there. And the high priest, of all people, had the privilege of being the one to go directly into God's presence. 
right in the middle of the temple, to the, to the temple of all temples before the God of all gods, into the Holy of Holies. Now, Ignite Kids, I know too busy colouring, but I know some of you guys were thinking about this last week with Jai. But picture the scene, everybody, right? So we're told that the evening sacrifice at the temple was around three o'clock in the afternoon, roughly around the same time that Jesus died. So it's peak time in the temple's day-to-day business. Now bear in mind as well, this was during one of, if not the most busiest, biggest festival in the Jewish calendar. So Jerusalem's absolutely heaving. The temple's even busier than it is normally. And everyone's come to the temple to try and get right with God. And all of a sudden there's this earthquake. And the inner curtain that keeps people out and God in isn't just damaged. It is absolutely torn apart. Sinful man and the holy, holy, holy God in the same place. Can you imagine the absolute chaos, the panic of the priests? Get everybody out. I wonder if they had fire drills or some sort of evacuation plan, if something went wrong. But see, let me kind of explain this more, but the tearing of the curtain isn't even the big deal here. The curtain is just a picture of the reality. In which the thing that separated us from God is no more. So, there I was on the streets of Glasgow, 11 o'clock at night, security laughing at me. And so, what did I do? I texted my friend and told him everything that had happened. Before I know it, there's a tap on my shoulder. Come with me. And in we go, smugly past security, up the stairs, behind the stage, into the party. Great night. A place where a few moments before, I had no right to be. See, because of Jesus' willingness to endure the cross, as we approach God, we no longer stand on the outside with our feeble excuses and with our sacrifices beyond the curtain, with a priest, can't go any further, but with a priest to mediate. And all these things serving as reminders of our separation from God. And then be grateful that we even got that close to him. See, Jesus comes out from within and he says, mate, come with me, give me that, ignore him, come through here. God has offered sinners a way in and Jesus was willing to pay the price. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. And within moments of this way being opened up, look at verse 54. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely this man was the Son of God. A Gentile, not a Jew. Look at verse 55. Many women were there watching from a distance. See, what I think Matthew's doing here is that he's sort of verbally mapping out the temple for us. Because 
What, the way that it worked, I was right in the middle, was the Holy of Holies. That was God's presence among his people. Then there was a curtain. Then there would be the, pre- the place where the priests were. And then there was a wall. And then there would be a place where the Jewish men would be. And then there was a wall. And then there would be a place where the women would be. And then there was a wall. And then there would be a place where the Gentiles could be. And notice what happens when the curtain is torn. <laughs> Who comes in first? The Gentiles. The non-Jewish people. Us. People like us. Those who were once furthest away from God. And we heard the the Jewish so-called leaders saying, Come down from the cross, then we'll believe you. And now, here's the Gentile soldier who believed because Jesus stayed on the cross. Who's next? The woman. Now, we don't read too much about them here, but the women are about to play a huge role in the people of God, especially in what we're about to read on Sunday. But see, my point is, the curtain tore, the way to God is open for all through Jesus. And it it wasn't long before every single wall of that temple would actually come down. It's not there today. The words of the great hymn that we're going to sing at the end of our service. The temple curtain is torn down. The living way to heaven is seen through Christ. The middle wall's gone. And all who will may enter in. See, this is the gospel that Matthew preaches here. This is the good news. This is what makes Friday good That Christ died in the place of sinners who turned to him in faith and repentance. This is what makes us wake up on Sunday morning and say, Happy Easter. (laughs) If you're not a Christian, this Sunday, if someone says to you, Happy Easter, just think for a moment. Is it? Is it? Because if... If you have rejected this good news, then Jesus hasn't died for you. If you forsake this invitation from God, then God will forsake you. Look at Christ. But friends, hear this message as your invitation. Jesus is enough to walk straight up into the presence of God. And let me urge you as well that if you are a Christian and somebody, say this to your brothers and sisters, and somebody says to you, happy Easter on Sunday, just think, it sure is. Because we are no longer under the wrath of God for our sin. Thank you, Jesus, for your willingness to die in my place. Let me just finish by reading these words from Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us 
from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly, I love that word, unswervingly, to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. 